welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the editor of CoolMomPicks.com. And if you've got a kid in high school, you are really going to want to stay tuned because today we are going to be talking about the madness of college application season and provide some really specific tips for how to help your kids with the stress of college admissions. And of course, we'll close out our show with cool picks of the week. But first, I want to thank our amazing sponsor. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Premium Prep, which offers custom college guidance to help kids find the right college path based on their own needs, interests, and goals. They can help with everything from researching schools to essay writing help, financial aid guidance, or simply helping kids find the motivation to start the process. I know a little something about that. What's more, Premium Prep is offering a special discount just for Spawned listeners. You can get up to $1,000 off a program, depending on the size of the program. Just visit premiumprep.com. We'll have all the information on our podcast page on Cool Mom Picks. Schedule a totally free consultation with one of their counselors and learn how to get up to $1,000 off. So that's premiumprep.com for an incredible deal off a guidance program. So I'm excited to be joined today by Elise Levine. She's one of the foremost college counseling experts in the country, in part because she's worked on both sides of the application process. She was the Associate Director of College Counseling at the Dalton School in New York City, which if you don't know, is a very schmancy, amazing school. And she was the Assistant Director of Undergrad Admissions at Washington U in St. Louis. So she really has an incredibly helpful perspective for parents. Now she's the founder and CEO of our sponsor, Premium Prep, where 50 experts nationwide put their expertise towards helping thousands of students and families successfully navigate the college admission process. And I'm so grateful for people like them. Welcome, Elise. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, Liz. I'm so glad to have you here. You were just saying that when everyone hears this, it's going to be January, all the EDs and ED2s are starting to roll in. This is like a really stressful time of year, isn't it? It really is. It's a big week. A lot of the news starts to roll out at this time of year. So the anticipation the waiting is really hard. It's stressful and we're all feeling it. It's really hard. And having gone through this now twice, so I helped my stepdaughter who's now a sophomore in college. I helped my daughter who's now a freshman and I've got a junior, so we're about to go through it again. It is a lot. I felt a little obsessed checking like Reddit boards and things, which was unusually type A of me. So I want to kind of help moms not be like I was and lessen the stress, particularly for our kids, first and foremost, but also for ourselves. I know that they kind of feed off our own energy. Let's start by just talking about preparedness. What's the balance between your kids taking tours in eighth grade, ninth grade, and starting their college searches in like October of senior year? When's the right place to start? That's a great question. And we actually get this from prospective families all the time. They either think they're too late, they're too early. So what is that sweet spot? We do think that starting early has its advantages. There are so many decisions that students need to make in the beginning of high school that either open doors or close doors. Very often they have to do with curriculum, math, courses, what pathway you're on, sometimes foreign language decisions. And those can be important, in particular for students who are interested in fields like engineering or business. At the same time, it can be so helpful to feel informed as you go through high school. Knowledge is power, and so many students and families feel that this process is mysterious. And so by starting earlier, it can help demystify I do think it's also really important to be present and not always planning for the next phase of your life. I don't think it is necessary to start doing 
chores in eighth grade, that feels premature. To us, the sweet spot is somewhere in ninth or 10th grade. Many years ago, junior year was really the time to start. But the process has become more complicated. And so I do think it can be valuable to start a little bit earlier as long as you do remain in the moment and make sure that not all of your decisions are with college on the horizon because you're then not necessarily being authentic. You're just trying to check the boxes, do the things you feel you have to do as opposed to the things that you really want to do. Yeah. When you have a 14-year-old kid, it's difficult to say, no, you shouldn't be taking this extracurricular. This other one will look better on your college resume. It's like they just got out of middle school. They don't know who they want to be. Absolutely. I think one of the most common debates we have with students is summer camp. Mm. So often kids want to go back for that last special summer where they're at CIT or at some places they're called counselors. And it's a really momentous, special summer. And yet the pressure to like have the internship or do the college academic program is just looming. And students are really feeling torn. I can think of one student who went with her heart and went back to camp realized camp was her happy place, that she loved working with kids, that she was really talented at that, and continued to develop her activities around those interests, and ultimately went into child development, which is what she studied at the Peabody School at Vanderbilt. So I think for some students, it's important to do what feels right in your gut and not just what you feel like you have to do. And I still think it can be beneficial in the long run. I'm so glad to hear that. And I know the summer camp thing tends to be generally Northeast and a pretty privileged decision. Yes, We are in that world for sure. Because of the pandemic, my youngest daughter lost a year at her camp. They decided to just restart where they left off. What that means is my daughter, who's going to be going into her senior year, will now be a first year counselor instead of it being the year before. So it's kind of thrown everything off also. And I remember some of the parents saying, well, I don't know, they're going to be 17. They should be working. They shouldn't be at camp. And I don't know. I'm just reassured because my feeling was, listen, do what makes you happy. There's like enough stress in the world. And if you're applying to a college that will be unhappy that you spent a summer working at a camp, then it's probably not the right school for you. A hundred percent agreed. You only get to be a kid once. You have your entire life to do work or what you feel like you have to do. It's important to be in the moment, enjoy it. And our job is to help you figure out how to present that in a way that shows you did something that you genuinely enjoyed, that you learned from, and now you're building on those experiences. I'm really, really reassured to hear that. So let's talk about just making a college list. I asked my daughter last night, like, what are some questions you would have? She's like, how do I start making a college list? Like, what do I do? And I know people tended to think of reaches, fits, and safeties. Now people are rearranging that in different ways. How do you look at it? So the balance list is still critically important, perhaps more so now than ever before. The landscape has shifted. The competition is fiercer. It's harder to predict what is going to happen. The nomenclature has changed a little bit. Nobody likes the word safety anymore. That's Mm. kind of become a bad word in our profession because nothing's safe anymore. We use likely. There are other schools and counseling firms that use other terms. And we have a fourth category, high reach. So there's high reach, reach, 
Target, and Likely. It's just the nomenclature, but it is important to understand where your schools fall on your list so you have a balanced list. That is really how you ensure options. And it's important to know that you are looking at what the competition is like today and not basing this on what schools were like when you and I applied or even <laughs> 10 years ago, right? I would definitely not have gotten into my college today. I'll say that. No way. No way. <laughs> not with my SAT scores. I'm not admitting that. <laughs> so let's talk about SATs because that's changed a lot too, especially since the pandemic. I mean, that's one of the major stressors for kids when we talk about how to help our kids reduce stress, SATs, ACH tests. I know they started going test optional a few years back, and a lot of schools seem to be sticking with that. At the same time, I know kids, like friends of my kids, who have taken it four times or five times. That sounds nuts to me, but I don't know. Maybe that's what people do these days. What's your perspective on how important those standardized tests are now, especially since the pandemic? And what's a reasonable thing to expect from your kids? I think the bottom line is good test scores can still help even though we are in this new test optional world and the vast majority of schools have remained and probably will remain test optional because it really has helped to open doors to more diverse populations of students who maybe don't have access to great test prep and where the testing was previously a barrier. And so colleges feel that there's been some real benefits to this test optional climate. Obviously, it was something that many of them weren't planning on doing, but here we are. The good news is for students who, for whatever reason, don't test well, it is not their strength. You have the option not to send your scores. I would still recommend that students give it a try because there really is good data and evidence that strong test scores can help students. We do see a disproportionate number of students enrolling in top colleges that have submitted scores. And there's a disproportionate number of students at the majority of these schools who did submit mm. among the students who were admitted. So that is a reality. And some great examples are Boston College, a medium-sized school, Amherst, a small liberal arts school. But that's not the case everywhere. Like consistently since test optional, Northeastern has had of their admitted students, 50% submit and 50 not. And so they have really stuck to that, which is impressive. And we haven't seen that higher number of the submitters. There are also schools that are test-free where you literally cannot send your scores. I kind of love that, by the way. It's kind of amazing, right? University of California, half of the Cornell colleges are test-free. There's some discussion that that could change. So stay tuned. But currently, <laughs> that is the case. And then there are some schools who have gone back to requiring tests the Georgia public schools, the Florida public schools, MIT, Georgetown. I think where we might see some return is in top engineering programs, mm -hmm. where knowing that a student has certain math skills is so important to their ability to succeed in those programs. And I think that's the reason MIT has been very transparent about that, that they have gone back to requiring those test scores because they feel it's a helpful indicator of who can be successful. Yeah, especially studying math. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> studying math, studying numbers, studying engineering. Right. So I think test optional is here to stay. I don't think you need to take it four times. Usually we see diminishing returns after two to three times. So mm. we typically recommend trying it once 
twice or three times at the max. Of course, we have those students who just can't resist. You've seen it too, taking it four or five times. Usually that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Do you think that's coming from the students or is that coming from the parents? Because there's no way I could have gotten my daughter to take a third SAT test even if I wanted to. No, mine either. Mine were done. I think It's partly the pressure right now because schools' average test scores are based on only those students submitting. The average test scores at these colleges are now so high. So unfortunately, it is creating an enormous amount of pressure on kids to test Mm. really high, especially for students who are trying to get into those top 25 to 50 schools where you're seeing 1,500 and above or 32, 33 or above. What we see anyway is that some of these kids are really putting that pressure on themselves. I see a lot of parents who are like, it's okay, let it go. But the kids are feeling the pressure. That's good to know. I'm glad that we're maybe less of the problem than I think we can be. And, you know, one of the things I did tell my daughter to help reassure her because she was looking at some fairly selective schools. She had a good range, but some of the SAT scores were really high. And I said, just remember, that's the average of kids who submit their scores. Not all kids are submitting their scores. So it's going to, by definition, be higher because if you got a 1550, why wouldn't you submit your score? But if you've got an 1100, you might not. That's right. That helped her not stress out quite so much. The other thing I told her was, you know, like if you're looking at these select of schools, you know, you go into U.S. News or you go into all these different places online that show you what the admissions rates are. And she would say like, oh, God, they only admit this percentage of kids. And I would try to say to her, well, that's not the percentage of qualified kids. That's just the percentage of everybody. Yeah. I just felt like those were two little things to help put the statistics in perspective for her. Is there anything else like that that might be helpful? I mean, I think these students are feeling so much stress. So reminding them it's not personal. These institutions are all looking for certain things. And so even though you may have done everything right and might be extremely well qualified, you might not fit what it is that they are looking for. It's really hard not to take that personally. But I love what you said at the beginning, Liz. If it's a college that is not excited that you spent your summer doing what you love, then maybe that's not the college for you. And I think that's also a great attitude to have about this process. You want a college that you want and you want a college that wants you. You want that to be reciprocal. And it's that fit and that match that is so important. Mm. Something else I often say to students and families and my own children is that I do think that we romanticize this process. It's so like American of us to kind of have this hierarchy, talk about the dream college as if there's like only one fish in the sea. Mm. And I just think that that's such a false notion. There are so many colleges that each and every student can be happy and successful at. And you and I were just talking about those students that don't get into their first choice early decision school, end up somewhere else and love it and cannot imagine themselves anywhere else. I know a zillion kids like that that say, I can't imagine having gone to my ED school. Actually, my daughter had a really great observation. I hope she won't kill me for saying this. So she applied to kind of a very reachy school early decision she didn't get in. She was devastated. Eventually, she ended up at a school she was thrilled with. And she said, you know, mom, I was thinking that first school, that's the school for who I was at the beginning of senior year. But now I think I found the school for who I am now. And I thought that was really insightful. That's really beautiful. And we see that. We see it with girls, but 
wow, the growth with boys <laughs> from when we begin this process and end this process is quite amazing. Very often the boys at the beginning of the process are just not engaged at all. They're just not ready to think about it. They're just right there in the moment. As we know, boys often mature slower than girls. So this is not always the case. But the growth that we see throughout high school, throughout the application process, it's so fun and exciting to be a part of that journey as kids become self-aware and really focus on the match, right? Like, what are the colleges that are best for me? Not just best because they have a better name or they're more prestigious or it's where my camp friends went. And so I know more about it. But what are the places that I'm going to do my best and be happiest? It's about the fit, right? It's not about the name. It's not about the bumper sticker on your car. It's where your kid is going to be happy and successful. So let's talk about the personal statement for a minute, which is like the fancy term for the essay, which I would write in all caps, the essay. (laughs) So kids get so stressed about the essay. They feel so much pressure to have like this Pulitzer winning short memoir about some profound time in their life, or they feel like they're supposed to do like some tragic situation that they overcome. And it's really overwhelming to the kids I've seen going through this essay situation. Do you have any tips for just helping kids navigate the stress around that essay or taking the pressure off a little bit? One thing that helps with some of that stress is starting early, getting it done. We always recommend aiming to get it done by August 1st. That's when college's supplemental essays become available. So when the school year, junior year is winding down and you have some downtime, that is really the time to dive in and take four to six weeks, not feel the rush and the pressure of the beginning of senior year when you're so stressed, Mm. taking more APs than you've ever taken, trying to get all these applications done. This is more like a long-term project. And I think that high school students are used to sitting down, writing an essay at 10 o'clock at night, turning it in the next day, if they're anything like my children. And that (laughs) is not how this should be done, right? It should be drafted and you should have time away from it and you should revisit it. But I also think it is important for the professionals, the people who do what I do and the counselors in schools to remind students that it's not about a trauma Olympics. It doesn't have to be that you're writing about a traumatic experience. One of my favorite essays from one of our former students was about how much she dislikes the avocado. (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't. I could have written that in high school also. No one ate avocados. (laughs) I mean, I'm 50, but no one ate avocados when I was in high school. That's for sure. But, you know, it was profound. It obviously had some deeper meanings, but it had so much humor and it was about a topic that felt so banal, but there was so much there and she had a great sense of humor. I wouldn't encourage a student who doesn't have a great sense of humor to use humor for the first time, right? Like this is the time to use the voice that you're most comfortable with. The other problem that I've noticed after years of doing this is that kids don't do this kind of personal narrative style writing in high school. Mm. So suddenly they get to this college process and they have to write an essay much like the types of prompts that they wrote in like sixth grade. They have not done this kind of writing. They've done expository writing. You have your thesis, you have your three supporting paragraphs, you have your conclusion. Yeah. You know, suddenly they're being asked to be vulnerable and not worry about structure. You know, in many ways, it's more like a blog. It has a certain informality to it. It's not supposed to be a masterpiece. We're not publishing this. It's supposed to sound like a 17-year-old's voice. 
And reminding them of that takes a lot of the pressure off. I'm also glad to hear you emphasize that it should sound like their voice because I will say my daughter was very stressed about the essay. She could not get it done over the summer. She just wasn't motivated. I think until she got to her senior year and her friends were very into college and that lit a fire under her. And she started working on it and we hired someone to help her out and the result was not good. It didn't sound like her. My daughter's hilarious, if I may say. She's very funny. And it was this like kind of sad, serious. And she brought it to me. She was like deadpan, handing me this piece of paper she'd printed out. And she said, just read it and tell me what you think. And I said, it doesn't sound like you. She goes, I know I'm starting over. And she started all over and she ended up with something she was really happy with. It was funny and it sounded like her. And I think maybe some of the pressure for kids is that they think they have to sound like somebody they're not. Yeah. And that's really hard for any of us. Put all those big words in. You don't want to over edit. You don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. One of the things that we do is each student works with a counselor. And Mm. that is someone with a background like myself who is helping them pick out the topic and the message. But I am not a writing instructor. I am not an English teacher. And so our students work with what we call writing specialists, which are people who have a background in teaching English on how to really flesh it out. And because they know how to do that, and that's their expertise, they know how to maintain the student voice. And that is why we have writing specialists. If I had to be the one to help the student get from soup to nuts on the essay, I might not have the tools to help them maintain that voice. I might be tempted to say, just write it like this. And then it sounds like me and not them. But they know how to keep prompting them through margin notes to get the essay where it needs to be without taking their voice out of it, which is what is going to be most effective. And of course, which is what is ethical in this process. It needs to be their ethic. I think that's good advice. You know, even if you don't work with a writing counselor or specialist, like if you're a parent that's helping your kid, let them be them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I am inclined to be like, oh, this could be a better synonym or whatever, but you have to let go. (laughs) This is good practice for us as parents. Yeah. Talk about something else that I know is a huge stressor for parents and it's not about applications, and that's financial aid and affordability. I don't think that gets talked about enough. I know we talk about the price of college and college loans and things, but it is a huge factor when kids are applying to schools. And I saw a number of kids last year get into their quote-unquote dream school and then not be able to attend because they didn't get the financial aid they needed. And that is rough. Mm, So how can we help our kids factor the real-world finances into their decisions without dampening their enthusiasm? Yeah. I think this is one of the many aspects of this process that kids begin to become adults and realize there are barriers and cost and money is a consideration. There's like a bottom line, right? Like Mm -hmm. parents just have what we have in our budget. So I think to deny that cost can be a barrier is to be very naive. And I would never say that that is not a real issue. I mean, the cost of going to college today in this country can just be exorbitant. The good news is there are really affordable options. So for families where cost is a factor, and that is the vast majority of Americans, make sure you are applying to some of your in-state schools where the cost is going to be significantly lower for anyone who is a resident of that state. Really do your homework on where there is merit money if you are going after merit money and have a sense of where your student is academically in comparison to that school's pool. 
Mm. Because just because they give a lot of merit money doesn't mean that your student is likely to get it if they are not at the top of that pool in terms of being academically strong. If it's a REACH school, they are probably not going to get merit money. If it's more in their target or likely zone, the college might incentivize them by giving them some merit money. And a lot of families that I know and that we work with are in that gray middle area Mm. where they make too much money to get financial aid, but they don't make enough money to really be able to afford college. And so the merit money can be a very valuable piece. Another financial aid topic that's big this year is that there is a new FAFSA form coming out actually this month. We're all waiting. I know, I'm dreading this. Yes. And so it's supposed to be a simplified FAFSA. Let's hope there's a lot of good information out there telling us it's going to be easier. But one of the positives, and they aren't all positive, but one of the positive changes is that they have expanded Pell Grant eligibility. And so that will hopefully help a lot of families that in the past would not have been eligible for Pell. That is very good. But that FAFSA form, man, if we are (laughs) telling kids to start their stuff early, my advice to parents is get all your finances in order before the application process starts because you have to fill out that FAFSA and then you have to fill out that CSS form, which is like 800 billion documents you're uploading and it's everything, (laughs) every penny that like if your grandmother gave you a $20 birthday gift and you put into your account, that's in there. Like literally, it's so detailed. It's so detailed. It was very stressful for me. to do that. Yeah. I still remember filling out the FAFSA myself for the first time when I applied to graduate school and thought, oh my gosh, how in the world did my parents, you know, do this? Because I was not involved. My parents did that when I was applying to college. It is a lot and we help students and families with that. And I have to be honest, it is still something I dread because it is just so complicated and detailed. And not to stress you out, listeners who haven't been through this before, you'll get through it. If I could do it and I'm not a math major, you could do it. You know, especially I would say if you're divorced or remarried or a single parent, there's like some other factors that go into it that can be a little more complicated than the typical, you know, two parents, two kids family. So just, I would say, take a look at even the sample form so you know what to expect too. Because like I said in the beginning, I think our energies really do help influence how our kids' energies are. If we're trying to help them be less stressed by this process, the last thing we need to do is be running around freaking out about (laughs) college funds. Even if we are, we can maybe do it away from our kids. Right. And if you think you need money, apply. Like, don't be scared to apply because you think it's going to hurt your child and think I'll just figure it out after the fact or apply later because then there's no money left. It can, for schools that are need aware, there's this need aware versus need blind. Mm. It can at the margins have an impact on admission. That's a reality. But so what? If you can't afford it, you're not going to be able to send your child there anyway. So if you know you need some financial support, it's really important to complete these forms and by the deadline. So everywhere is going to require that FAFSA, that's the federal form. And then the form that you mentioned, Liz, that CSS profile, that is something that individual colleges decide if they want to require or not. And it gives them a lot of additional information. A lot. <laughs> a whole lot of additional yes. information. Yes. So, uh, let's just wrap this up by talking about, you know, the end game. So let's say our kid gets into the school they wanted to go. They get the money they need. They're going. Hooray. Awesome. Let's say that seems to be happening to their friends, but they don't get into the schools they were hoping to go to. What's the best thing we can say? What can we do to help them navigate that? 
Yeah, that's really hard. And I'll be honest, that's where my head is like right now because mm-hmm. I feel like I apply to college every year. I've been doing this for so long and I feel the ups and downs with our students. It is a total roller coaster. We just had a counselor senior team meeting discussing like how to help our counselors prepare and help our families and students with the disappointment because it's hard and not everybody is going to get in. So the first thing is a practical tip. Be prepared. Do not wait until you have been rejected and are miserable and crying in your pillow to complete the rest of your applications because you are not going to be in the right place to put your best foot forward. Hmm. Have those applications either out if you're okay, potentially wasting application fees. And you're talking about if you're applying early decision. Yes. If you applied early decision, that's where my brain is this week. If you're really hoping for that first choice school and you don't end up getting in, don't wait to do the rest of the applications till you hear that news. You're about to go on winter break. That's bad timing. Mm. That second idea is what I mentioned before. There are plenty of fish in the sea. Reminding your child that they can be happy in a variety of places. That this notion that there's just one school or this only dream school is just a falsehood. And helping them realize how well adjusted they are, how well they've done in a variety of places and that they will find their school. Yeah. If I can add to that, like shout out to Toby, who is one of my former college professors who I've been in touch with, and he was giving me some good guidance for applications. And he said, you know, it's not that your kid isn't qualified. It's that the colleges may be getting too many qualified people. Yeah. That actually I found very reassuring. Yes. Many colleges will say they could admit three or four classes of equally qualified students. I've heard Brown and Duke and Princeton and a whole variety of schools say that kind of thing. And it's really true. Having worked in selective admissions myself, still being in close contact with people who are on that side of the desk, it is hard for them. It's splitting hairs. There are just so many highly qualified students. And I think that's not just for the super elite schools either. I mean, absolutely. You know, my kids went to performing arts high school. So a lot of kids were applying to art programs and music programs and theater programs and they were doing auditions. And it's not that they're not an incredible performer or artist or singer. Maybe they have too many people from your geographic area already or who knows what, but it doesn't mean you're not great at what you do and that you won't find a great fit. Absolutely. I think the last tip I would give is one of those life lessons that life is unfortunately filled with disappointments and setbacks. Mm. Obviously, this is not the first thing I would say, but once your child is kind of calming down, helping them realize that how they face that will help them prepare for all of life's ups and downs, right? Like life is not always going to be just acceptance and joy and merriment. I know our generation of parents, we don't want them to have any boo-boos, any falls, any troubles. (laughs) I get that. You know, I was always trying to catch my child. But as we've learned, that's not always going to make for a successful adult because unfortunately, everyone faces setbacks and disappointments. And you've got to dust yourself off, pick yourself up and move forward. You know, after the pandemic, the kids applying for college in the next two years will be the kids who missed their middle school years, right? And so they have dealt with a lot of disappointment and uncertainty and they are building resilience. And I'm hoping that that gives them some coping mechanisms for all the disappointments that will come in life. But in the end, I really hope 
that kids end up where they feel great and where they've made friends. And I always think, you know, worst comes to worst. If you hate it, sophomore year, you'll transfer. Exactly. <laughs> it's a lot easier to transfer into a school than sometimes get in. It is. It doesn't have to be your forever school. If you're not happy, there's lots of ways to make changes. And I know kids and families don't want to go into their freshman year thinking that way, but it's something good just to keep kind of in the back of your head so that you know that there are alternatives if you're not happy there. And that's funny to make that change. That's such good advice. Thank you so much. So listen, if you want to learn more about Elise and her team from Premium Prep, they're at premiumprep.com. You can follow them on social. What's your best social channel these days? Definitely Facebook. Facebook, Premium Prep, where the parents are and where all the scary parent freshman groups are. I, that's <laughs> a whole other topic we could get into another time. Definitely. Thank you, Elise. That was amazing. Very helpful. And now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And Elise, as my guest, you get to go first. So my picks are estate sales. I am a big secondhand shopper. Blue Loon is the company that I think has the best goods. I love buying beautiful ceramics. I love arranging flowers. I love buying beautiful old linens with other people's initials. I just think it's neat to have that history in my house. My second is Love Michael Granola. Love Michael is a nonprofit that employs autistic adults. They also have an amazing volunteer program for teens. And we've had students volunteer and have incredible experiences. And the granola is really yummy. It's made in New York City. Ooh, I love that. I can't wait to look that up. We always feature a lot of gifts that give back and products that have social good built into their missions and Love Michael Granola. All right, that's on my radar now. So I thought since we were talking about college, I'm going to give you one of the things I sent my daughter to college with that was helpful. Fan. She wanted a fan, a little fan. I love that. That's <laughs> because great. it gets hot in those dorms, even in the winter in New England or you know wherever your kids are, and especially if you're in the South where one of my nieces are. And so she found this cute little. She calls it her kawaii fan. It's like ironically pink, although they have other colors. It's on Amazon, and it's this little USB charged fan that folds up into a tiny compact circle. If you just want to use it that way, like put it on your lap when you're at your desk, but it also comes up a little bit if you want to put it above your headboard or it extends all the way so it can become a floor fan. And <laughs> it's really convenient. It's cute. It's uh, probably more than I would like to spend. It's about $49. But she said it served her very well so far. And I thought that was like a good find. I love that. That's good for me to tell our students as well, because we're always looking for fun tips like that. Oh, good. Well, we have a whole ton of them on Cool Mom Picks. We always are sharing cool ideas for parents sending their kids to college and things they didn't think they needed and great gifts for those kids besides gift cards. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our amazing guest, Elise Levine, and to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. We have a lot of great new shows coming up, so make sure you're a subscriber to Spawn. That way you'll be the first to know when a new episode is live. Also, join me in our Spawn podcast community on Facebook, where the parents are, right? It's back. It's where we can chat directly about today's topic or pretty much anything else you've got on your mind. I'm very chatty that way, as you might have guessed, and I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Liz. Have a great day.